Essa... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. If I were to ask you what the four most dangerous words are put in sequence, what would you think? What words would you think would be the four most dangerous words? Today we're going to talk about the four most dangerous words, at least... They're pretty close to the most dangerous words because they have to do with your eternal destiny, with my eternal destiny, with all of our eternal destiny. And that's more important than, shall we say, a bankruptcy, or more important than whether our guns get taken away, or more important than, and you can fill in the blanks. These four words will determine destiny for many people, maybe even for most So today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at that, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and in order to kind of set the stage for this, I want to take you to a television program that my wife and I happened to watch just a couple of days ago. It was called Law and Order. Now, whether it was about order is one thing, but it certainly was about law. But it was about more than law and order. It was about the four most dangerous words. Oh, they didn't present it that way, but that's exactly what the program was about. And so here's the storyline. A young black woman, nice-looking black woman, uh, had passed the bar, the, the bar, I think it was the New York bar, And uh, she had been welcomed into a very prestigious law firm on Wall Street. And she had worked so diligently for eight years to climb the corporate ladder there in that prestigious law firm. And she was poised on the edge of partnership. Now, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal to be poised on the edge of partnership. I remember... When I was poised on the edge of partnership back uh, four years after beginning law practice, and I had to make a decision. Yes, I had to make a decision because God pointed something out to me, and I had to make a choice. And the choice was, will I stick with this law firm and become a partner, or will I leave and start my own law practice which it seemed that the Lord was calling me to do. I had to make a choice. So this law and order program was all about making a choice. And it involves the four most dangerous words. So this fine young lawyer, a black woman, And it's important to know that she was black and was a woman. That is important. It's not racist. It's important to know because it fits into the bigger picture of the story. So as it happens in this story, there was a gentleman who happened to be uh, one of the leading partners of this major Wall Street long firm. And he had run for 
councilman and now was running for Congress. He was extremely well-known and very powerful. Interestingly, as the story played out, someone... uh, Well, it seemed that there had been a, a rape. A rape, but nobody could prove it. And it didn't involve this young black woman. It involved another woman. But nobody could really prove it, and voices were silent. And so it became a very difficult thing for law enforcement in order to somehow find the perpetrator of this rape. Well, as it happened, ultimately, the storyline led us back from the woman who had been raped and that the police were trying to find the rapist to this woman lawyer, the black woman lawyer there in the councilman, soon-to-be congressman's partnership law firm in the Wall Street. As the story played out, this woman finally admitted that this councilman who had been her boss, who had been the major player in this upper-end law firm, had actually raped her. Well, yes and no. That was the issue. Yes or no? Did he rape her or did he not rape her? And she broke down. She cried and she says, well, I had to do it. When the district attorney interviewed her, he said, well, did you voluntarily allow this law partner, your superior, to have sexual relations with you in his office? She said, yes, I did. I voluntarily submitted. So he said, well, why why did you voluntarily submit? And she said, well, because if I didn't, he said that I probably would not make partner and he would destroy my ability to make partner, or even to be accepted in any other law firm in town. So she said, I had to do it. I had to do it. Now, here's a question. Was she taken advantage of? Or was she a prostitute? Was she taken advantage of or in voluntarily submitting to this highfalutin lawyer who was her boss and allowing him to have sexual relations with her, had she made herself out to be a prostitute? After all, she got something, didn't she? She got the security of becoming a partner. So she bartered her innocency, she bartered her virginity for partnership. On the other hand, the direction that the 
district attorney wanted to take was that she actually had been taken advantage of. That something had been taken from her and that that was a criminal offense. So what would you say? How would you conclude this? Well, fascinating program really kind of gets to uh, a lot of things going in our society today. But as I watched, these four words came up over and over again in my mind. But I had to. But I had to. Those, my friends, I believe are four of the most dangerous words that you and I have to deal with in the days, months, and perhaps years to come. Would you like to know why that is? I hope you'll stay tuned because much is at stake. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Was she a prostitute or was she coerced and having her virginity taken from her illegally? You see, that was the issue related to this interesting, fascinating program on law and order. So what was your answer? Well, it depends on whether your answer was emotional or whether it was factual. And then it gets sort of confusing, doesn't it? Or it seems to get confusing. Because we begin to think about our own lives. We begin to think about things that we have done or not done. Things, reasons, decisions that we have made because we said, we rationalized, we told ourselves, but I had to. Mm. I tell you, as I think about those words... They're terrifying words. They're terrifying words because that is how you and I, human beings, are prone to agree to participate in evil. Karen Kingston came out with a piece the other day, sent to my email. Why do we agree to participate in evil? Why do I agree to participate in evil? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If you don't believe that there's some evil in you, then you will be completely blind to the evil in the world. And when you will complete, you will be completely unaware of when you are being manipulated by and participating in evil. She went on to say, we all think we know what we would do if asked to participate in the physical harm, say, of innocent adults and children. Most of us would say, I would never harm an innocent adult or child, even if you held a gun to my head. And especially doctors, you would think, who took the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. But it might be a helpful exercise, says Karen, to for doctors and health care providers to ask themselves, am I willingly 
are willing to knowingly withhold informed consent from patients and to harm patients in order to keep my license, my income, and network of colleagues? And then take the next two years to reflect on the words and actions over the past two years and then try to give themselves an honest answer. In March of 2020, state governors closed down businesses, schools, and churches across the United States, told residents to go under house arrest and remain in their homes until it was safe, supposedly safe, to go back outside. And when it was safe for our children to return to school, they had to stand six feet apart, six feet apart, sit six feet apart, and wear face masks, eat outside in freezing weather, as if our children were prisoners of war being mentally abused in a war camp. And we agreed to this. But why? Many Americans knew by two weeks into the lockdowns that the lockdowns were a complete sham. Yet somehow we were willing to sit back and watch the COVID-19 theater play out. Why did we do this? Why did the churches participate? Why did pastors urge, even compel, and mock their their congregations who would not get the jab? And will we do it again? The answer is absolutely yes. The majority will do it again, even though they will say in their minds today, never again. Karen Kingsley goes on to say the last two and a half years have shown us that we don't really know ourselves as individuals, local communities, nations, or global citizens. When we agree to do things we don't agree with or to not speak out against what we know is untrue or morally wrong, we are actively participating in evil. Why do we sometimes knowingly or unknowingly participate in evil? Do the decades of world governments research into fear-based human behaviors and response timing on social media networks know us better than we know ourselves? How do we stop ourselves from participating in evil again? Well, the reason we participate in evil again is because either verbally or in our mind's mouth we speak, but I had to. We rationalize, but I had to. So, you may still wonder, well, why would those be the four most dangerous words? Well, you'll have to listen to the balance of the program, friends, because, as you know, if you've been listening to Viewpoint Long, we don't hit everything in the first segment or in the second segment. In fact, we're building the issue just as an attorney will build his case before the jury. And that's what we do every single day here on Viewpoint. We give an opening statement. We present the issue. We present the situation. And then we present uh, the evidence, documentary, testamentary, uh, testimonially, uh, some of it hearsay, some of it not hearsay. We present everything and what God has to say, what the Word of God has to say about it, and then we prepare and present a final argument and allow you as the jury to make the decision. That's basically what we do. 
And so the question then still is on the table, but I had to. What is it that we have to do that we don't want to do? And are there some things that we don't want to do that we should do? And there are many other things that we don't want to do that we should not do. Those are the ones we're talking about here today. The ones that we don't want to do, no, we should not do, but rationalize that we have to. That's where the words become very dangerous. Now, let's take a look at uh, the trajectory now that has happened with regard to morality, for instance, in our country. This came from Star Parker, talking about a decline in religion, and as decline in religion, as religion declines, so government grows tragically. She says, rather than our democracy following prior moral principles, our moral principles now are defined by our democracy. In other words, people are establishing the morality rather than God. What we deem to be moral, good and evil, right and wrong, now arrives to us not from heaven, but from Hollywood. Consider how, over the last 20 years, our idea of what is morally acceptable has changed. So listen carefully. 22 years ago, in 2001, per Gallup poll, the following percentages of Americans viewed these activities as morally acceptable. Of gay and lesbian relations, 40%. Birth to an unwed mother, 45%. Polygamy, 7%. Suicide, 13%. Pornography, 30%. But in the latest 2022 poll, those changes have, those uh, percentages have changed dramatically. What now is morally acceptable? Gay, lesbian relations, 71%. That's a 31% increase in 22 years. Birth to an unwed mother, 70%. That is a 35% increase of acceptability in 22 years. Polygamy, 23%. That is a 16% increase in 22, uh, 22 years. Suicide, 22%. That is a 9% increase in 22 years. And finally, pornography, 41%. That's an 11% increase in 22 years. So what exactly happened over those 22 years? saying that each morally sensitive area is morally acceptable has more than doubled. Well, one thing that has happened, says Star Parker, is that the percentage of Americans that think the Bible is relevant to their life has dramatically dropped. Again, per the Gallup polling, the percentage saying that religion is very important in their life has dropped from 70% in 1965 to 49% in 2021. That's 21% drop in those 22 years. The percentage saying they attend church in the last seven days has dropped from 49% in 1960 to 29% in 2021. Again, another 20% drop. 
So it seems that the drop in our religious conviction and uh, following up, which would include the fundamental fear of the Lord, has so dropped in our moral imagination that there is an almost point-for-point relationship between the radical changes in our thinking as to what is morally moral or acceptable, it's fascinating. So Star Parker is right. As religion declines, government grows, tragically. Well, it's not just government that grows. It's our morality that declines. In other words, things that 22 years ago, the majority of Americans would have thought with horror they would never embrace are now being embraced as moral or acceptable. How is it we can do things like this? How How is it that we can make this kind of a radical change in just 22 years, less than a whole generation? It's because of these four words, but I had to. Well, we become acceptable, we become endured to the culture. The culture becomes our dominant influence rather than God in his word. We begin to fear what man has to say, what our neighbors and friends have to say, what the people in our office have to say, instead of what God says. And so we just decide, well, I have to. We don't say it out loud. We just say it to ourselves, but I have to. If I want to have friends, if I want to this, if I want to be accepted, if I want to get the job, if I want to uh, get the partnership in the law firm, if I, you get the point, if I want to get the raise, if I want to get my child in this particular school, then I have to do this, that, or the other that I know I shouldn't do. Can you imagine how far taking those words is going to go if we rationalized that I had to get a shot, that if I had really paid attention, I would never have done it, nor would I have allowed my children ever to have gotten such a shot. But I did anyway. Why did I do it? Because we answer to ourselves, but I had to. That's what we did. But I had to. So I want to ask you a question before we go even further. Let's suppose that it's not the shot that's being offered now. Let's suppose that it's not a raise that's being on the line. It's not your friendship with your neighbor or someone else that you value that's on the line. It's your eternal destiny. Now what are you going to do? This is the reason why, friends, that the infamous mark of the beast is so relevant. It's not something you can dance around. It's not something we can forget. It's not something we can brush under the table and forget or under the rug. No, we have to keep it in the forefront of our minds because 
we are prone to say, but I had to. I had to get it. I had to take it. Even though the Bible is explicit, just read it in Revelation 14. If you take the infamous mark, it will be your final and ultimate commitment. Regardless of what you think, it will be, in effect, your final and ultimate declaration that you have cast your care and trust upon Satan and his counterfeit Christ system rather than Christ himself. And there will be no turning back. Did you have to take the mark? Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it, your viewpoint, how you rationalize whether you would take it or not. Stay tuned, friends. This is where the rubber meets the road. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. How do we engage in self-deception? That's what the words, but I had to reflect. Self-deception. Why is it we would deceive ourselves that way? Well, we have the ability to choose. You and I have the ability to choose, and the Bible tells us that we should choose. As it is written in Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, but you choose. So what will you choose? <coughs> Excuse me. Our choices are what determine our destiny. So deception is always related to choices. And deception is deceptive. And that's why, <laughs> that's why deception is so dangerous, because it is deceptive. And that's one of the most profound truths that we can embrace because that is what Jesus warned against in his final statement in Matthew chapter 24 to his disciples two days before his crucifixion. If deception wasn't deceptive, there wouldn't be any deception, would there? So, and that that's precisely why deception is so dangerous to your eternal destiny and mine. So, I think it's a fair statement that no deceived person ever believes he or she is deceived unless and until the deception is actually revealed, and even then most still refuse to believe they're deceived because they say, I had to. So, you can see then why the scriptures deliver such a dire warning 
to the saints about deception. The warnings are not to unbelievers. They're deceived already. And our times, you know, we all know that our times are enshrouded in deception, spiritually, politically, economically, militarily, medically, even emotionally. There's no area of our lives where we are not subject to some kind of deception and seduction. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Many are going to follow their pernicious or deadly ways, said the Apostle Peter. Because they resist the truth, they're of corrupt minds and are reprobate concerning the faith. And there's no question about it, Jesus and all the apostles that are recorded there in the scriptures declared that deception dominates these end times. It was the number one thing that was on Jesus' mind concerning his disciples and their eternal destiny and yours. So very quickly, I just want to set forth uh, a few things that help us to understand the truth about deception. And then we're going to take a look at how to restore and stay on the godly path in spite of all the temptations to say, but I had to. All right? So first of all, deception dances with sin. It always does. Deception occurs often by degrees. So today, we might say, you, but I would never do such a thing, or I never say such a thing, I would never embrace such an idea. And yet, gradually over time, like we just discovered in the article from Star Parker, in 22 years, our country and even Christians have dramatically changed their viewpoint concerning what is moral, what is not, because we have failed to keep the authority of the word of God directly in front of our eyes. Just have failed. The fear of the Lord has been abandoned largely in the United States of America. Deception always seems desirable. It just does. We rationalize. It seems desirable. And that's why the Bible talks about itching ears. People wanting to hear what they want to hear. A lot of people won't listen to this program because they don't want to hear it. Why didn't they want to hear it? Well, because they would rather not hear it, thinking that uh, they don't have to deal with it. No, they will have to deal with it, and that's why they don't want to hear it, because they don't want to deal with it. That's deception. Deception requires decision. It always does. We decide. We report here on the program, you decide. You become the jury to determine whether or not uh, what has been spoken is true, And then whether or not you're going to embrace it, you're going to follow through and incorporate it into your life uh, for godly purposes as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Deception is seldom very direct. It comes in in different ways, little cat feet like fog. Deception lies dormant pending decisive moments in your life. Deception always reveals darkened character. It tells us who we really are. 
Not who we, who we want people to think we are, but who we really are. So, as we move forward here, we're going to take a look at uh, just a few things uh, that show how we rationalize our thinking. And we can talk about uh, deception and uh, disobedience. They work together. So here's what we might say. All disobedience begins with deceptive thinking, and it usually includes some of these kinds of ideas. First, but that doesn't seem right. I had a pastor say that to me recently. But that isn't what most people are saying or doing. But my pastor, that prophet, said, But you don't understand my circumstances. Uh, But I prayed about it. But God wants me happy, doesn't he? But I'll miss out on this opportunity. But, But I read in several books that, but it doesn't fit with our modern culture. But I just can't do it. But could God possibly mean that? You see, what this is all about is playing fast and loose with God's word. It's to dance with deception and ultimately death. And that's why these four words, but I had to, are so incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous beyond anything that you could possibly want to imagine. You can imagine it, but you you don't want to imagine it. So we're looking at uh, what, what's happening is our culture is seducing us. We are seeking first the culture rather than the kingdom of God. And it's influencing us, and it's changing the way we think. It's changing the decisions that we make so that the church itself is in bed with the culture. We're prostituting ourselves to the culture. That's unfortunately what's happening. And so we need to have some way of establishing a direction that will help us to stay on the godly path. But how do we do that? How do we stay on the godly path? That's what we want to talk about for the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint as we keep in the forefront of our minds the words, but I had to. Now, to help you with all of this, I want to provide to you my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. Friends, it might be hard for you to imagine the sheer scope of this book and how practical it is, how probing into our minds and our hearts it is. I think this is the reason why some have said that it's the most important book they feel like they've ever read other than the Bible. So I asked them why, and they said, well, It's because it's so practical. It helps us to really understand what the Bible is saying and why it's so important in my life. Seduction of the Saints, it's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. No, it's not on Amazon. It just isn't. We severed our relationship with Amazon a number of years ago for some very good reasons. Now, 
Our most recent couple of books are back on Amazon, but not the books preceding that. So Seduction of the Saints is not on Amazon. But you can get it through our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. Okay, so as we move forward now, and we continue to keep this question, but I had to, or this statement, but I had to, it's a statement of rationalization uh, to guide our thinking rather than what God has said. If you are not in the Word of God every day, you don't really know what He said, and you forget. And you develop a quagmire of what the culture is saying with what God, what you thought God was saying, and now you're confused. And your life is in chaos, and you begin to more easily rationalize, well, but I had to. I had to what? Well, I had to lie because my employer said so. I had to falsify some documents because my employer told me to. Well, I had to, I I couldn't represent the truth concerning my tax return because then I would have had to pay more taxes. So I had to falsify my tax return. You're beginning to get the point. Well, I had to submit to uh, my employer's desire for sex. Because if I didn't, it might cost me my job. If I didn't, it might cost me a raise. So I had to. You did? You told yourself you had to, but you didn't have to. You see, this is where godliness begins to take over. When we respond to that, but I had to, and say, no, I don't have to. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to walk the godly path. We'll be right back to walk the godly path. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Instead of responding, but I had to, in life's choices that cause us to err concerning the faith that causes us to enter into and embrace evil in one form or another, deception in one form or another, 
what can we do? How can we protect godly paths? And if we've gotten off the godly path, how can we get back on it? So that we're not constantly responding, but I had to. Well, in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, he says, ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you'll find rest for your souls. Do you know why a lot of people don't have rest? They don't have peace? It's because they rationalize in their minds continually to do that which they know they should not be doing. To embrace evil, to embrace compromise. And as you know, the road to hell is paved on compromise corner. So if you want to stay on the godly path, you cannot go the direction of the compromise at the corner. You're going to have to continue to choose the godly path. So there there are only two pathways in life, and, and only two fathers, God and Satan. So David, the psalmist, says, you will show me the path of life. David also says, by your words, Lord, you have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. So the first thing that we need to do, if we want to uh, walk the godly path, is we have to make the word of God absolutely essential every single day in our lives. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. David said, oh, how I love thy Lord is my meditation day and night. Through your words, I... Am wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding even the ancients. For your word is my delight. See, delight and meditate, delight and meditate, delight and meditate in the word of God every single day. It is your life, my friends. It's not a vain thing, God said through Moses in Deuteronomy. It's not a vain thing. It's your life. But human beings are being seduced to follow the deceiver's deadly or pernicious paths like children following the Pied Piper ever since the Garden of Eden. And why are we so easily seduced? Well, first of all, God created us with freedom to choose. And we're easily seduced, just like Eve was easily seduced in the Garden because she was presented with something that made it look like if she chose Satan's way, it would be better, it would be easier, it would be more attractive. And that's how we're deceived, we're seduced. But Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. He's talking about the path of the just. He's talking about the path of life. He said, the gate going in there is narrow, and the pathway seems pretty narrow, but that's the only one that leads to life, and there are very, very few that find it. But he said, the way of the de- of, de- of deception and seduction is very broad, but it always leads to destruction. Destruction. And the majority are going to go in that way. So how do we keep the path of life? How do we keep it from being seduced off the godly path that leads to life and keep our feet on the straight path? 
Well, again, the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He also asked God, Order my steps in your word. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way or every false path. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments, he cries. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, that I might not say, but I had to, to do that which I should not do, don't want to do, but will do anyway because I'm seduced. Remember, nobody is seduced against their will. Nobody. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So let's suppose that you have strayed off the path of life. And you know that. You're listening here today, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and and you know that. And by the way, that's a good thing. That's not condemnation. Conviction is what God does through his Holy Spirit to bring us to account through his word to make choices to be restored in our lives to his favor. So, how do we do that? The first thing we have to remember is God does care. He, He cares. In fact, it's the goodness of the Lord that calls us to repentance. So if you've gotten off the the godly path, you can get back on it. In fact, we have a plaque in our home that we got at one of uh, America's premier bed and breakfast plantations, the Monmouth Plantation in Mississippi. It says, if you do not feel close to God, guess who moved? God didn't move, but you did. That's why he says, you return unto me, and I'll return unto you. God doesn't say, I'm going to chase you down. He says, you return unto me, and then I'll return unto you, because I didn't leave you. You left me. You're the one that ignored the ancient landmarks. You're the one that ignored the boundaries. You're the one that didn't pay attention to my word, my will, and my ways. So how about you coming together and reasoning with me, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, if you'll just agree with my viewpoint, God says. If you'll just walk away, run away, from the path of the unjust, from wickedness, from always rationalizing, but I had to, and seek me with a whole heart. God says, don't remove the ancient landmarks which have been set. But that's exactly what Americans have done. That's what Star Parker was saying in her article that we quoted earlier. In just 22 years, we have run as if we are trying to escape God and his rule in our lives as a country. So it's time to restore the ancient landmarks. we got to find out what they are. Because if you don't find out where they are, you may tread on Satan's territory again. You need to know where the boundaries are. 
And quite frankly, you don't want to be running as close to the boundary as you possibly can. You do that, and the ground underneath your feet might just collapse and you end up on the wrong side of the fence. Then the Lord says, make straight paths for your feet, that you might be our partaker of his holiness. Make straight paths for your feet. See, the the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So if you get into the wandering business, it's going to take you a whole lot longer to get from point A to point B if you ever get there, because you can get lost. So when God's people are seduced, they're led astray from the straight and ancient paths through deception. So he says, make straight paths for your feet. That's exactly what the prophet Isaiah said that John the Baptist would do to prepare the way of the Lord. He would call the people to make straight paths for their feet. And that's exactly what they did. In fact, if you go to the book of John, chapter 1, here is what it says. That John the Baptist's ministry was, make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So, one of the things that we try to do through this program here, uh, one of the main pillars of this program is discipling. We're discipling for destiny. Discipling is not evangelism. Discipling is preparing people to obey God. So we have to avoid the crooked and the broad way And we have to see the straight and the narrow way. And then we have to make sure that our ways conform with the straight and narrow way. And that's how we make straight paths for our feet. And then we have to choose. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life, said the Lord. And few there be that find it. So, here's what... uh, You know, an awful lot of pastors and parachurch leaders and so on these days are preaching what you might call a big tent gospel. They're not preaching the narrow way that leads to life because they're trying to please the people. They know that people don't want the narrow way, so they're trying to get people into the kingdom by some other way, some simple way. Just believe in God, or just believe in Jesus, or just play this, pray this simple prayer and you're in like Flint, then go live as you want. No, the narrow way is the way that leads to life. And it's a way that goes all the way from now till the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the reason, friends, why Jesus himself said, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. It's not he that starts the race. It's not he that gets on the path initially. It's he that stays on the path to the end. So, are you going to be a people pleaser or God pleaser? It's time to choose because the day of Christ is at hand. Now, even the Apostle Paul warned about this time. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, that is the day 
of the second coming of Christ shall not come except there coming a falling away first. Make straight paths for your feet. Restore the ancient landmarks in your life. Avoid the wide gate and the broad way that allures our flesh and choose the narrow way that leads to life. So repeatedly in the Old Testament and then repeated in the New Testament, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Have you been involved in rationalizing your life, but I had to? If you've been doing that, then just think where it's going to lead, because rather soon, as the new world order is moved into place, scheduled to happen before 2030, or by 2030, as it's moved into place, there is going to be a new digital currency. Not going to be able to transact business as we have in the past. That digital currency will make sure that your ability to buy and sell is determined by a universal government, not run by God, but run by the agents of Satan. Those who hate God. They're over there at the at the Davos, Switzerland right now, at the World Economic Forum, plotting and planning. So today is the day. Stop rationalizing. Stop justifying. And then, remember that there's going to be a final test of your trust, of whether or not you're really on the path of life whether or not you will accept and receive the mark of the beast. Thanks for joining us, friends. It's always great to be able to uh, chat with you here on Viewpoint. Get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. $15 on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. And again, please, please consider becoming a partner as we launch into this new year. Don't let another year escape without becoming a partner. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.